Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, I talk with Elizabeth Kinsey about online pedagogy, increasing student engagement, adult learners, and taking a creative writing approach to teaching composition. Elizabeth Kinsey is a teacher of all things literary and writerly. She hails from San Jose, California, a granddaughter of Italian and Jewish immigrants, and has lived all over the West and Southwest. She received her PhD from the University of Denver in Literary Studies. Other fields of study include creative nonfiction and memoir, female growth narratives, from early modern English women's writing and the female rogue to current hybrid narratives. She feels it is important to attend to the individual need in any given course. Through pedagogical approaches based on heart, she practices Peter Elbow's workshop and Stephen Brookfield's feedback loops, attending to various learning styles. Elizabeth, thanks so much for joining us. You've been teaching online for over 10 years. What's your overarching online teaching philosophy, or what do you value and why? Well, first of all, um, I think the shocking aspect of teaching online for 10 years is that it, it actually hasn't really changed a lot. And that's shocking only because this technological age, the approach is more of that human approach. So it's the human behind the technology that's really important. And it's what I value and it's what students value regardless of uh, their age. So I teach a lot of mixed classes. uh, So adult students and traditional students Over the 10 years, I would say just being uh, present and transparent are my major values going into any online classroom. And I've taught uh, via, gosh, way back when it was called Angel. I'm not, uh, but then uh, we switched to uh, Blackboard and then Moodle, Canvas, D2L, which is now, I believe, Brightspace. All of those offer similar opportunities to engage with students um, technologically, but um, I I guess it's that first three weeks of any class that's really key in just establishing presence, uh, unpacking your personality in uh, visceral ways. So uh, in, in my first big announcement, I, it's kind of very jazz hands. <laughs> there are a lot of gifts and and fun um, kind of illustrations of the the mood of the first week. So I try to conceptualize kind of the um, the goals, the outcomes in pictures and in audio. I try to bring this haptic sense, making a flat world into kind of a more three D world. So um, so for example, a big stress, and this is. This is part of my um, goal in teaching um, literature and, and reading. A big stress is, is uh, close reading and distant reading and these concepts. And so I had a gif of Grover um, near and far and going near and far. Um, and uh, one of my students reached out, thank you so much for posting Grover. It made me feel so much better to engage and and be relaxed because I'm so scared I'm coming back to school after all these years and um and Grover just welcomed me so it's it's things like that that I think uh reach out past their flat screen 
and um, engage students. So thinking about your student demographics, specifically the makeup of your classes being adult learners and traditional students, what strategies do you use to increase engagement within both those populations through online teaching and learning? Well, that's that's a really good question. Um, I what I've seen uh, with adult students is they want to self-direct. They they really want to apprehend the subject and apply it to their lives, bring their life experience into the subject, uh, especially in uh, my nonfiction uh, creative writing classes. Uh, those can be very intimate. So um, they they want to put themselves out there so that they can gain so much more. And uh, and I like to rely on adult students. Uh, you know, some people, some teachers might say, well, I don't want to require the discussion responses too quickly because then uh, then other students will copy each other. Why not? Why not let them copy one another? That's that's embodiment. <laughs> that's jumping into someone else's post, positioning themselves in there, and then um, explaining it in synthesizing someone else's post. So, so the the adult students can write these mammoth posts that you know bring in theory and bring in the class the class concepts, and then the traditional students can kind of borrow from them and. And um, and model how it feels to actually apply theory. So I, I think it's actually a little bit of plagiarism. Maybe some teachers would call that in the discussion. That's fine. <laughs> I embrace it because then the traditional learners uh, will will get that um, kind of enriched experience. And I've seen I've had those learners go on in other classes and then not rely on the other adult students so much. They, that's, a, that's a strategy uh, to rely on the adult students' uh, experience and to kind of lean on them a little. I have a lot of adults who reach out to me and, um, and say, oh my gosh, I'm so glad uh, you're this kind of teacher um, who's open to learning because you know I've been out of school for so long and blah, blah, blah. And then I'll return their email or I'll return their call and say, you know, I'm relying on you to, uh, you know, to kind of model this experience that you have. And, and they're happy to do it. <laughs> they're so excited to author their education. So and then uh, it, it trickles down. So that's uh, kind of a, a way that I increase student engagement. And then another one is uh, adding options to the content. If you're flexible in your classroom and you see that some people, some students are kind of uh, running behind or need more encouragement, you can shape uh, the, the assignments and uh, allow more drafts. Why not? You know, um, I, of course, it, it it makes it harder a little bit um, to, to manage all the moving pieces. But if you tell students, look, I, I want you to um, rewrite this and I'm not gonna penalize you. Uh, I would like uh, a, a new draft with these aspects and, um, and students embrace that. They love to, to have options. So uh, 
especially to improve right there and apply that improvement. All of us have had to navigate online teaching and learning over this past year, and we've had to really consider scholarship and best practices. For some of us, maybe many of us, this work is new. Are there any current trends that you would like to see continuing? And then perhaps maybe trends that you find more troublesome or problematic. So, I mean, you've interviewed a lot of faculty who support that universal design, which is uh, basically making your online classroom um, accessible for all learner types. And that's, I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. And when I do have the freedom to post in a class, the multiple intelligences test. (laughs) I tried to gather that information and make sure that um, all of my classes are universally um, accessible to all kinds of learners. And I try to work with when when there are those advisor positions in, in the structure of a school, I try to work closely with advisors to um, manage student learning um, styles. So uh, there, there's that uh, going forward. You know, uh, I have some students who are extremely auditory or um, visual, so I try to address that. But um, there's some worrisome kind of emphasis placed on gamification. And I just attended a conference about gamification and I'm all for it. I love games. I think that games are really important for that engagement piece because uh, they kind of uh, allow for students to play and then uh, make these giant leaps. Um, But I I guess my biggest worry is that we're going to, to emphasize gamification and de-emphasize the sustained kind of practices that are needed in writing. Um, We need to be readers. (laughs) We need to keep reading novels. (laughs) Uh, Should I repeat that? (laughs) Um, And uh, so I'm writing an article right now about digital humanities and it's kind of is against uh, the idea of distance reading, not against it, but um, talking to it. Um, And Franco Moretti's distant reading is um, kind of standing back and embracing uh, text mining and graphs and charts and kind of taking a temperature of of the themes of several texts. Um, It's it's, um, placing emphasis on data coming from uh, our novels and what we value uh, as literature in the world. Johanna Drucker is is kind of in the middle of this conversation. I just saw her last year um, and she wrote Graphesis. Uh, she's a fantastic scholar that I just uh, love. And anyway, she um, she talks about this um, this interpreter position. And I, I love that we are still interpreters, we are readers, writers. Um, and, and so I'm worried about chunking out novels, um, manga-izing them, <laughs> and, uh, and catering to that as we move forward 
in um, online classes. What, what are we catering to? What are we emphasizing? Can we also keep that sustained uh, practice? So these are some of my worries and questions and considerations as we move forward in the online plat platform. We need to read novels and, and how, what does that look like? So you're a creative writer. I'm interested in how you bring this background into the composition classroom and kind of what that looks like. What are the affordances of taking a creative writing approach to teaching composition? Well, I, I definitely love those two areas to speak to one another. And I believe that we are going towards a creative approach to composition but maybe that's just in my small world. <laughs> I don't, uh, I've been looking for texts. I found one because I'm actually about to write a curriculum that's, that's creative nonfiction and rhetoric. And, um, and I just found a text. Uh, it is called The Art of Creative Research, a Field Guide for Writers by Philip Gerard. And I'm sure there are a lot more. Um, this time it's Personal by O'Connor. I'm, I'm just starting to write this, but I've taught with creative writing in the composition classroom for 10 years. And, <laughs> and when students can recognize an argument in a creative work, they're disarmed. They, all of a sudden they, they realize that Oh, um, they didn't have all these sources. They didn't do a bibliography, and they didn't. They didn't have to say this is ethos and this is pathos and this is this is my rhetorical strategy. Um, all of that is melted away, and they're left with story, and it just ignites them. It gets them excited again about rhetoric, so that they can re-enter it with more of a conceptual feel, and they can. Um, they can come from that part of the brain that plays and um, they, they jump, they, they make these strides. Oh, well, I have a lot of issues and problems in my world and I'm going to tell that story. So they, it, coming from a perspective of story is so important. Um, they can reach into their lives and then apply them uh, once they've, they've recognized the tools in say uh there's a there's a an essay that i use a lot um that is um david sedaris's um my childhood in africa where it's actually his partner's childhood in africa that he tells about and he it's a compare and contrast essay where his his boring life in comparison to hughes growing up um there their field trip was to a slaughterhouse <laughs> in Africa and his was to um, a colonial town. So there, there is this uh, tension within the essay and students can pick out uh, the structure of rhetoric within this story and within their lives. So, so it's extremely empowering for students to kind of reposition themselves in the middle of argumentation and uh, see it in a creative way, and uh, and that way they're 
they're not approaching the red rhetoric in uh, this this kind of uh, scientific structure. They're coming in through a creative backdoor, and it's uh, it's terribly empowering. I I I guess I'm being repetitive, but I think it's um, it's my favorite way. <laughs> to approach composition. And I've had lots of success with it. So in fact, even last night, the student said, ah, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to cite everything. <laughs> and you know, it citing gets in the way. Uh, if if you can play for, for a while, then you can get to the citations and have energy for them. Thanks, Elizabeth. And thank you, pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.